we have a baby boy. It's a boy. Eugenie had her baby boy today. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Of course, that's going to be the top news item on the Royal Rundown. But I can't not say hello, everyone, and welcome back to Podcast Royal. I am so excited for this week's episode. We've got a full Royal Rundown. We have got a tour of a new Royal residence and the introduction of our first non-British European royal family. So without further ado, let's jump right in. So how are you, Jessica? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I am excited to see you tomorrow night. So as you all know, if you've listened from episode one, Jessica and I are not only podcast co-hosts, but we're also friends in real life. And if you listen to past episodes, you know that Jessica's birthday was on January 22nd. And she has been so crazy with her travel schedule with weddings that it is tomorrow before we get to celebrate it together. So I can't wait to see you. Yeah, I know. It's funny. Rachel and I live in the same town, but I don't think I've seen you since before Christmas. No, I don't think I've seen you since probably before Thanksgiving when we were still recording in person. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Wow. I can't wait to get back to recording in person, but we are being COVID safe. So we are actually going to go to the pizza place where this whole podcast idea started. So I'm excited to see you. Are you ready for some Royal Rundown? I am ready. Let's go. Okay. So obviously the biggest news of the week just dropped this afternoon. We have a Royal baby boy. Eugenie gave birth on Tuesday, February 9th at 8.55 a.m. London time at the Portland Hospital where she was born in 1990 and also where Archie was born in 2019. So as we predicted a couple of weeks ago, she did not give birth at the Lindo Wing. While we don't have a baby name yet as of this recording, and we are recording this on February 9th, so baby boy Brooks Banks, say that 12 times fast, is not even 24 hours old. He's getting close because they're six hours ahead of us, but um, we do know the baby is healthy, and so is mom or mum, I suppose. Baby boy Brooks Bank weighs eight pounds, one ounce, and is the ninth great-grandchild of the queen. Congratulations have been coming into Eugenie and husband Jack from all corners of the royal family and the world, and we at Podcast Royal would like to offer our heartfelt congratulations as well. So, Jessica, did you see that adorable photo on Instagram that Eugenie posted of she, Jack, and their baby boy's hands? I did. I thought that was so cute. I love seeing how the Royals get creative with their announcements these days. Um, and I did want to point out, fun fact, I was actually born at 8.55 a.m. and okay. I weighed eight pounds and one and a half ounces as a baby. So how about that? Um, yeah, I was reading, I was reading about our baby and I thought, oh wow, how fun. How about that? <laughs> That's that is awesome. So baby boy Brooksbank will not carry a title but he is 11th in line to the throne. So as I said, as of this recording, we still don't have a name, but according to odds makers, the top contenders are in order, Arthur, James, which is actually Jack's real name, Frederick, Edward, and Albert. So Jessica, any last minute name predictions? 
I really don't know on this one. Um, maybe Albert? What do you think? Ooh, I don't know. I don't think that it will be James because to my knowledge, now they do like to name repeat, right? Like George, mm -hmm. uh, but they don't typically do the whole junior route. So, well, I was surprised Philip wasn't on the list. Yeah, yeah, that might be one of the middle names. Maybe so. that might be one of the middle names. The list went on from what I said at the very bottom of the list was Thomas. I'm trying to remember some other names. There were some other names on there. They were all very traditional. Someone I heard predicted Oliver. Now that might be the kind of name that I could see them doing traditional, but not like Arthur or Albert. You know, yeah, I could definitely see him being an Oliver, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah. I and then know. like Oliver Philip, like Oliver James Philip Brooks Bank or something like that. I mean, I think you just named the baby. What if we're right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> what if I, Eugenie I is waiting for tomorrow's episode to come out so she will know what <laughs> we think she should name her child? Obviously, we have that much influence. Just kidding, but um, yeah, I I could see it being it's it's not going to be a super modern trendy name, but it's I I don't know if they would go so far as to do an Albert situation. So yeah, I mean that that's definitely an older, more traditional name, and because she's not, you know, so close in line to the throne, I could see her going a little more trendy than that. Yeah, I mean, look, Archie is sixth in line to the throne, right? So that's Charles, William, George, Charlotte, Louis, seventh, excuse me. And his name's very trendy. So Eugenie has the freedom to do whatever she wants. I, I think she, I mean, I doubt she'll do something, you know, too wild, but um, <laughs> I, I think that she can have some liberties that maybe William and Kate did not have. So Congratulations, Eugenie and Jack and baby boy Brooks Bank. Welcome to the family. I'm, I, you know, I'm have I had a moment today because Eugenie is four years younger than I am, and so I watched her grow up, and I just can't believe that she's a mom. Like I just remember her in the '90s, a little girl, and of course I remember William and Harry's little boys and Beatrice, and I just it time flies. So congratulations, and of course congratulations to the whole family. The grandparents, the great grandparents, the aunt, the uncle, everybody. Congratulations. So, all right, more news to report. Late last week, Prince Harry and James Corden were spotted riding around town on a double decker bus filming an episode of Carpool Karaoke, or at least that's what we think. They might have just been filming another segment, but I'm pretty, I'm hopeful that it's Carpool Karaoke. That delights me to no end that soon we'll be seeing Harry possibly singing karaoke. Like, can you imagine how, like Harry <laughs> is someone that would be really fun to sing karaoke with or go to a party with. He's, sure. he's, calmed, he's calmed down significantly <laughs> in his would you, rather, would you rather uh, do karaoke with Harry in 2021 or Harry in his younger days? Which oh, Harry in his younger days. But I'll, still, <laughs> I'll still take Harry in 2021. I mean, I, Harry's still a spitfire and a whole lot of fun, I'm sure. But he is, you know, he, fatherhood, 
husbandry or whatever makes you more mature or so they say. So anyway, Corden, of course, has been longtime friends with Harry and he was in attendance at Harry and Meghan's wedding in 2018. So we'll see what comes of that. Speaking of Harry, he made an appearance on Zoom this week to celebrate 150 years of England rugby. Devastatingly, Jessica, there was no ponytail for <laughs> Megan in sight, but Megan would show up later in the week, it turns out. It was also announced this week that just before the election, the US presidential election in November, Harry and Meghan met uh, apparently over a call with California Governor Gavin Newsom, though it was not disclosed what the meeting was in regards to. I've read later reports that it was a quote unquote introductory call. So what do you think they spoke about, Jess? Yeah, I don't know. I read that also that it was like a welcome to California call, which is a little bit odd. I mean, they've been there a while now. And <laughs> Does everybody that moves to California get a welcome to California call from Governor Newsom? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I read somewhere that it was not political in nature, but I mean, you know, he's the governor. So I, I feel like it, it it has to be somewhat political in nature. I, I think they're kind of walking a fine line there with their roles. So I'm not really sure what they talked about, but it seems a little odd to me. Yeah, I I have heard, and I believe that Robert Lacey wrote this in Battle of Brothers, that Megan might have political ambitions someday. So, so both Harry and Megan stunned a group of youth poets by dropping in via Zoom to surprise them on Saturday. The appearance was in conjunction with the release of a virtual anthology put together by the group celebrating all Black authors and poets in support of the Black Lives Matter movement and aims to, quote, inspire new perspectives, spread understanding, celebrate great art, and highlight the multitudes of injustice in the world. So can you even imagine being on Zoom? Because I know that you must Zoom all day, every day like I do. And all of a sudden, boom, there's the Sussexes. I know. I mean, gosh, what a surprise. They were apparently stunned. And I love this detail that Harry and Meghan were apparently sent over biographical information of the kids on the call before they got on. And they clearly took the time to read the biographical information and learn about the kids and they knew their names, they knew their backstories. So I love that. And I believe this is the first time that we've seen Megan at work um, publicly anyway in 2021. So it was great to see her. We got a post up on what Megan wore about what she was wearing, even though you really couldn't see a lot of what she was wearing and we still can't identify the designer. So if anybody knows the designer of that light blue button down, let me know. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. So more Zooms. Kate spoke with UK teachers this week via Zoom, marking Children's Mental Health Week. On the call, she said, quote, you play such a vital role in looking after our children. It's so important that you're looked after too and have the appropriate networks and support systems to make sure you can really do the best job you possibly can. I wanted to say a massive thank you to teachers across the country for doing fantastic jobs. It's been really hard work, but please look after yourselves. So I have to add in a fashion moment again, 
Kate looked fantastic in a rewear of a blue tweed blazer by Rebecca Taylor. And in the background, eagle-eyed observers saw a photo from Charlotte's 2015 christening with most of the family in the photo. So for his part, William was on a video call this week with young environmental activists from around the globe. And of course, before she gave birth, Eugenie was on Zoom this week as well, marking the anniversary of the Moore Camp. I'm, my mom always says to me, Jessica, in her show notes, which she gives every week, which I appreciate, she says, you should really just take the time to deeply learn how to pronounce <laughs> like, like Vicamp <laughs> that you don't know. So I'm sorry, mom, I, if I'm butchering this word, but it's spelled M-O-R-E-K-M-B-E Bay Cockling disaster in 2004. Eugenie said, quote, 17 years ago, 21 Chinese undocumented immigrant laborers were drowned by an incoming tide after picking cockles off the Lancashire coast. While their story is so tragic, it really isn't very unique. And it's something that happens in modern slavery and has only worsened in the last years. There's an estimated 24.9 million victims of forced labor globally across the world. Wow, I, did, I didn't know the, the extent of that. So kudos to Eugenie for recognizing a cause that matters to her. Yeah. And that was just a couple of days before she gave birth. So she was working right up until the end. So yeah. finally in the Royal Rundown, the Queen's Royal Residence in Northern Ireland has released a special limited edition rose petal gin. I need some of that. This comes after Buckingham Palace released its own gin last summer. The new gin is called Hillsborough Castle Edition Short Cross Gin. It retails for about $55 or 40 pounds and is made using rose petals handpicked from the Queen's Granville Rose Garden at Hillsborough Castle, her residence in Northern Ireland. It's blended with apples and pears selected from the circa 18th century walled garden and according to historic royal palaces is quote reminiscent of summer rose gardens with a long sweet citrus and smooth oily finish so i will drink to that will you be buying just so yeah i thought this was an interesting uh flavor of gin and i'm wondering how strong that rose flavor comes out i i love the smell of roses but uh -huh. i um don't particularly like rose flavored things. Um, I will say the price for a bottle of gin, you know, from, from a Royal residence seems pretty doable, um, but I might be more inclined to try the Buckingham Palace gin. So I don't know. I, I could definitely see myself um, purchasing a bottle of, of one of those. I feel like we, for maybe our 50th episode or something like that, should buy the gin and toast to that with the gin. It just seems appropriate just so I agree so we'll we'll do that we got we got a while to go before number 50 this is episode 11 so we have time to save up <laughs> so we'll get there we'll get there okay any thoughts Jessica on the royal rundown that we have not yet covered I think I think this was a great rundown um news all over the place so there's a lot going on right now um and I loved it I think you I think you covered it good deal well, again, congratulations to the Brooks Banks, and I can't wait to find out that sweet little baby's name. Hopefully by the next episode, we will know. So we are gonna move into segment two, 
And we're going to talk about the Swedish royal family. So if you saw on our Instagram, we teased this a little bit. We promised you all the way back in episode one that we would cover not just the British royal family, though they are obviously our primary focus, but also other European royal families. And after I read this week, so exciting that Netflix is developing a Swedish royal family version of The Crown. So excited about this, especially because Carl Philip, we'll get to that in a moment. I know you feel the same way, Jessica. I knew now was the right time to delve a little bit into this absolutely gorgeous family. So the Swedish royal family is actually quite interesting and we will cover them more and more over future episodes. I also can't wait to talk in the future about Monaco's royal family, Jordan's royal family, Luxembourg, who else, Jessica? I mean, there's tons of great royal families. Yes, there, I mean, well, yeah, we'll have to profile all of them. We will, we'll, we'll get all over, all over Europe, but I would have to say that, well, I'd have to put obviously the British royal family first, then I love Monaco, like Grace Kelly, all of that, but Sweden is, is right up there. So let me tell you a little bit about this family. So his majesty, the King of Sweden is Carl Gustav, who became king at only 27 years old in 1973. So contrast that, if you will, with Prince Charles, who is 72, the flip of 27, and still waiting for his turn. He actually ascended the throne upon the death of his grandfather, King Gustav Adolf, on September 15, 1973, because the king's father died in a plane crash when he was only nine months old. So he became the crown prince and heir apparent at the ripe old age of four. The king is passionate about the environment, much like Prince Charles and William and Harry and the whole family, really, technology, agriculture, trade, and industry. He also loves cars, and he is dyslexic, as are two of his children. After meeting at the 1972 Summer Olympics, the king married Miss Sylvia Summerlath on June 19, 1976, the first marriage of a reigning Swedish monarch since 1797. Queen Sylvia has reigned longer than any other queen before her, and the king also holds the record for the longest reign in Swedish history. The king and queen have three absolutely beautiful children, Victoria, born in 1977, Carl Philip, who is the most gorgeous royal alive. Test, test me on this. Tell me, listeners, one royal that you can find that is better looking than Carl Philip. You can't. If you can, please let me know, because I don't think it's possible. Anyway, he was born in 1979 and Madeline born in 1982. So I find this so interesting. Even though Victoria was born first, it was Carl Philip who was the heir to the Swedish throne upon his birth in 1979. But on January 1st, 1980, a new law establishing absolute primogeniture, which I pray to God I pronounced that correctly, we told you on episode one that we were not a perfect podcast. So if that's what you're expecting, you're out of luck. But I think I said that right. So that what that means is the firstborn becomes the heir to the throne, no matter the gender was established. That was actually the first such law passed in Western European history, I might add. For comparison's sake, the UK and the British royal family did not pass absolute primogeniture until 2013. So that was right before George was born. 
So to put it in layman's terms, Carl Philip, the son, but the second born, was the heir apparent for all of seven months from his birth in May 1979 to January 1st, 1980. And then Victoria became heir apparent. So Carl Philip never really knew that he was the heir apparent. He was too young. But I think that's so fascinating, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to think about, uh, you know, I mean, thank goodness he was young when that happened. Could you imagine that happening when you were an adult and and have to kind of be surprised that you wouldn't be um, king? I, I just find that fascinating. So let's start with Victoria. So she's the heir apparent. Victoria will be Sweden's fourth queen regent upon her ascension and the first since 1720. As of her 18th birthday in 1995, Victoria is eligible to act as head of state when her father is not in the country. She is a working royal and has been since 1995. She married Daniel Westling, who I find this very interesting, was born on September 15, 1973, which was also the day Victoria's father became king. And they married on June 19, 2010, which is also her parents' anniversary and Edward and Sophie's anniversary, I might add, and my grandparents' anniversary. So oh. popular day to get married. If you have never looked at the weddings and specifically the wedding dresses of Victoria and her siblings, Carl, Philip, and Madeline, please do. They are stunning. I know you've looked at them. Yeah, I mean, they are probably some of the most beautiful of all oh. the weddings. Madeline's wedding dress is everything and more. You have to We'll, we'll get some photos up on Instagram after this episode drops tomorrow. Stunning. Victoria is the mother of Princess Estelle, born in 2012, and Prince Oscar, born in 2016. Victoria, like her father and her brother Carl Philip, has dyslexia. She has also publicly acknowledged her battle with anorexia. She also suffers from prosopagnosia, which makes it difficult to recognize familiar faces making it extra challenging, of course, to do the work that she does. So Victoria's younger brother is Prince Carl Philip, who married Sophia Helfvis, a model, on June 13, 2015. They are the parents of Prince Alexander, born in 2016, and Prince Gabriel, born in 2017. Sophia is currently pregnant with their third child, which we will now be on Baby Watch for now that we have a uh, Eugenie Jack Brooksbank baby. She is due in late March or early April. Also, I think Jessica mentioned on the podcast a while ago that Carl Philip and Sophia had COVID earlier. Mm -hmm. So um, thankfully they seem to be recovered from that. Finally, the stunning Princess Madeline of Sweden is the king and queen's youngest. Much like our British friends, Madeline is an enthusiastic equestrian and is married to Christopher O'Neill, whom she married on June 8th, 2013. They all got married in June. Everybody's getting married in June in this family. They have three children, Princess Leonore, born in 2014, Prince Nicholas, born in 2015, and Princess Adrian, born in 2018. I can remember when she was pregnant with Adrian in 2018. Madeline's husband is British American, and in 2015, the family moved to London, and as of August 2018, the family now lives in Florida. So, so another I, American princess. 
Yeah, I didn't um, actually realize that they were currently residing there um, until recently. And I was doing a little bit of reading about Madeline and I thought I would point out um, when they moved to Florida, uh, they were renting a home in Miami and they ended up purchasing a home. And so I think it's reported that they most likely live in the same general area around Miami. Uh, okay. But Princess Madeline did an interview with Mama Magazine in Sweden, um, and she was talking about her life here in Florida, and I thought it was just an interesting um, perspective. You know, I've never been to Sweden. I don't know a lot about it, but she said, um, I now feel that I have good friends, and I have especially gotten to know some really nice mothers from school. In the U.S., parents are incredibly present in the schools, so it was very easy to make new friends with the community. It's a full-time job just being a parent of a student there. Um, so I thought that was interesting, and yeah. um, and and I think you know I'll, I'll point this out too. In 2019, Rachel, you may remember this, um, but it was decided that the Swedish royal house would exclude the children of Princess Madeline as well as the children of Prince Carl Philip. Um, so that means that their kids are no longer. Uh, they no longer have official roles um, with the Swedish royal house, um, so they won't get a royal salary, um, but they'll still keep their titles and be seen as Swedish royals, um, but they'll be able to live a very normal life. And I just thought that was um, interesting to hear about, and, and it makes me think sort of, um, you know, what we've seen Harry and Meghan go through and, and them kind of stepping back from from their titles and, and their roles as well. But, um, you know, I, I guess it happens in all, um, all royal families, but they noted that the reason um, that they did that in, in Sweden was um, the king wanted to clarify which members of the family are expected to have public commitments on his behalf. Um, so Madeline seemed very supportive of it in her Instagram post. She has one from back in October, 2019, if anyone wants to go look at it. Interesting. You know, I wonder if down in Florida, because she is a beautiful woman, so she's going to get noticed wherever she goes. But I wonder if like the other school parents, the school moms realize that like who she is, you know, because that <laughs> like she's she's a princess and is, you know, very like very much the equivalent of like an Anne or, you know, a female Edward. Like she it's just wild to think that people yeah. might see her and not know who she is well you know I'm sure she is in some wealthy communities around Miami um I'm sure they know who she is I, I thought it was interesting um how she compared U.S. schools to to Swedish schools I don't I don't know what they're like there but you know she made a point to to note how um, involved the parents are in the schools um where her kids go and um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's pretty cool. They're living in Florida. I kind of wonder, um, you know, what what drew them to move um, to the U.S. And, and mm -hmm. you know, Sweden seems like a pretty cool place to live. So I'd love to hear more about um, her thoughts on comparing the two places. Yeah, her husband is British American, so he has American roots. That might be it. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I, I think this family is fascinating. And proof that the British royal family is not the only royal family on the block and we will put some photo we already put a photo up on our Instagram 
of the entire family, but we will feature them more and follow their news. And of course, when that season of The Crown comes out, we will definitely be watching. But um, we hope that you listeners are as interested as we are to learn more about this gorgeous, gorgeous royal family. So any final thoughts on the Swedish royal family? No, I'm, um, I'm excited to dive more into that in future episodes. Yeah, they are an interesting, interesting bunch. And I have a feeling that the next European royal family that we will feature will be Monaco because I have always <laughs> loved them from, from birth. Not as much as the British royal family, but they're up there. So that is all I have for this week. So on our continuing tour of the royal residences, we now go to Anmer Hall. Yes, so since we were just visiting Sandringham last week, I thought this week we would hop right over to Anmer Hall, which is just two short miles down the road in Norfolk. Um, Anmer Hall, most of our listeners may know this, but it is the country house of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. This home was a wedding gift to the couple from the Queen. Um, and their, uh, their London residence is actually Kensington Palace, which most people know that. Um, but Rachel mentioned last week, the family has been staying at Amher Hall during the lockdowns um, and the Duke and Duchess are actually working out of Sandringham while the kids are at Amher Hall, I assume going through their school activities. Um, so before we jump into this, do you think the family prefers Amher Hall or Kensington Palace um, more? Oh, that's tough. Well, I feel like Kensington Palace is their home and Am I always I've said this to you offline, Jessica. I always want to say Amner Hall, but it's Anmer Hall, A-N. Um, mm -hmm. I think that that's their country home. And so they probably see it as a retreat. And so it's probably really special to go there. And as you're about to explain, it's beautiful. So I feel like they have to be at KP for work and the proximity to London, but Anmer is probably a great escape for them. I'm, I'm sure they didn't ever expect they'd be spending this much time there, but I bet that it's a place that they really like to go. Yeah, I have to think that Kate at least probably secretly prefers Anmer Hall. Um, actually, I read somewhere that um, few years ago, it was going to be their official residence. And then um, they ended up having to spend more time back at Kensington Palace. And it, it really felt to be their country home. But Amher Hall was built in 1802. But it's been a part of Sandringham Estate since 1898, when it was purchased by King Edward VII. It's a Georgian style home featuring a red brick exterior and it has 13 bay windows across the front. Um, a little bit on Georgian style homes. I just pulled this up on Google really quick from realtor.com just to give our listeners an idea of the style. Um, these homes are generally square or rectangular. They're made of brick and they feature symmetrical windows, shutters and columns. Um, they often have entrances embellished with arches and columns, and the interiors typically feature high ceilings, window headers, and crown moldings. So we are right up my alley today. These are really pretty homes. Um, so we'll jump in here. 
Once Kate and William took ownership of the home, I believe it was in 2013, they invested 1.5 million pounds or around $2 million into a renovation project, which included a new roof, a new kitchen, a conservatory and um, landscaping to provide more privacy. Um, that included the installation of several tall trees. And as a side note, um, there's actually a no-fly zone over the home to ensure they have the utmost privacy so paparazzi can't fly over and get photos of the family. The home has 10 bedrooms, a pool, a tennis court, a garden, and a nanny flat. So the nanny can stay close by um, with the family. And Kate played a really big role in this renovation. Um, she did enlist the help of designer Ben Pentreath, I think is how you say his name. Um, and he helped her to really select items that fit her personal style. Um, but I really feel like she sees this home as hers. And um, it's a private place that she can decorate and she can have fun with the design uh, where Kensington Palace is really more of a public formal setting. This home is their private home. So the public cannot tour Anmore Hall. Um, it's just the family here. And I feel like she has a lot more liberty to do what she wants with Anmore Hall. So I really do think she favors this home. So what do we know about the interior design elements of Anmore Hall? Well, it seems like Kate has a very traditional style. Um, I'm not gonna break out room by room like I did at, in Sandringham because we really, um, because it's a private home, we don't get a whole lot of um, images into the home. I was able to pull a few, but I'm gonna talk general style um, and, and different elements that we were able to pull from what we were able to find online where when she's done interviews and others have talked about it. But many of the rooms feature a neutral, soft sort of tone and cream color walls, um, very traditional. So one room that I will talk about is the kitchen. Um, you can go out there and Google and find photos of the kitchen, uh, but we'll put, we'll put one up on, the, um, on our Instagram account for our listeners to take a look at. Um, this is one of the rooms Kate renovated and you might be surprised this little English kitchen is so much more quaint than what you might expect for a royal residence. Um, it had a very traditional English farmhouse style feel to it. Um, I really liked it. I could see myself cooking in a kitchen like this. It's very down to earth, very relatable, perfectly classic. Um, you know, I think anyone would feel very at home sharing a meal with the family here. So in the kitchen, the walls are a light, neutral, greenish gray tone, and the cabinets are a soft, warm cream color. There is a built-in cabinet with glass front doors so Kate can display all of her pretty glassware and dishes. I mean, I'm sure she has really nice heirloom pieces that she likes to display. And there's a lot of natural light coming in from the windows. The floors are hardwood um, and the countertops are like a rich wood butcher block style countertop. And there's a large island in the center of the kitchen. In the island, there's a sink and a bridge faucet. So if you're not familiar with the bridge faucet, it's got the hot and cold um, uh, handles on either side and they kind of come together. And then in the center, the faucet arches over into the sink, um, very kind of farmhouse style sink. Um, and then on one side of the island, there are some small bar stools. And at the other end, there are some shelves with some cookbooks. 
um, out. So just a very, um, it's got a very warm family feel to the kitchen. From what I can tell in the photos, it looks like Kate has an Aga stove, which I think is how you pronounce that. Rachel, are you familiar with the Aga stoves? I'm not. What's that? Um, so they seem to be really popular in England. I have seen some other English uh, bloggers um, share these stoves and in, in pictures of their homes, but they're very old fashioned looking. I mean, they really truly look like an old fashioned stove. I have never used one, uh, but I think they're made of cast iron. And they're designed to where you can turn them on and keep them on pretty much constantly. And they hold this like low heat in the cast iron oven. Um, so you don't have to preheat it. You can put your food in and, and let it cook um, that way. And then they've got some like burners on the top that you can turn on and off. Um, I know they're pretty pricey. I think they are upwards of $8,000 or more to have one. Yeah, slightly out of my stove price range. Yeah, Kate definitely splurged on this. And I would love if we have any listeners in the UK and you're familiar with these stoves, please reach out to us and let us know more about them. Um, I have never actually seen one in person um, here in the US, uh, but I've seen a lot of them in pictures. So I'm very intrigued. So throughout the rest of the home in the private bedrooms, Kate has also gone with cream colored walls, green carpet, neutral material, or, uh, I'm sorry, natural materials like wicker chairs, flat weave Turkish rugs, um, a lot of pastel tones. Um, we see cream colored sofas. I did see like a monotone cream striped sofa with some pink and blue pillows. So very neutral here. Um, another thing we learned about Kate in this home is that she loves the color blue. So you may recall a few years ago, um, Kate shared a photo of Princess Charlotte and she was sitting in this um, like French, uh, French provincial style chair with a blue and green um, creamish colored like gingham upholstery. So that's one example. That was a photo taken in Anmer Hall. And then throughout the rest of the home, we'll find little touches of blue, like blue towels, blue floral drapes and pillows. Um, so she definitely um, brought in some color with, with her favorite blue. I love hearing about Kate's aesthetic, by the way. I know. Yeah, it's so great. Because Kate's aesthetic is much more like mine than, say, Sandringham or Balmoral. It's much more down to earth, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this home is very warm and inviting. Um, there's a common room in Amra Hall, and it features this marble fireplace. Uh, mantle. And in the center of the room, there's this large cream colored like octagon shaped ottoman that looks to be functioning as some sort of a coffee table. And then the room also has several table lamps and they're topped with these, you know, fluted tapered type shades. And they've got large landscape paintings around the room with antique gold frames. And I mean, just very like what you might imagine, honestly, a living room from the 90s probably you know just like all of these classic furniture pieces that really don't um go out of style but we do know there is a pop of color in the home so kate kind of broke her rule for neutrals and in the dining room she went with a bright emerald green color um which i love that she did that i think that was probably an element of of fun and and i mean you know there may be other homes with more color or i'm sorry other rooms in the home with more color but um from what we know at least the dining room is a it's a bright emerald green 
And lastly, she keeps chickens on the grounds at Anmer Hall. Really? Um, I imagine, yeah, I imagine that must be a lot of fun for the kids. Um, but I do wonder, do you think that she tends to the chickens or do you think she has help? I think both. I think she probably has some help, but I can totally see Kate out there with the chickens, but chickens, that, that chickens are kind of, I don't know. I just, it's, it's, it can be smelly. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. They're kind of stinky. And so I, uh, but I can see, I can totally see her out there with the kids, like teaching them how to take care of a chicken or, uh, but I mean, I can't believe that she's the only person that's out there with them. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm sure she's got some help, but it is a great opportunity to teach the kids about, you know, where eggs come from and, um, and the kids love animals. So yeah. Yeah. And kids like to get dirty. So that's, you know, that's gotta be fun. So like I said before, you know, Amber Hall is a private residence, so we don't really have a ton of access to images inside the home. My knowledge is somewhat limited on what it looks like all throughout the home. But based on what I've shared, I think we can draw some inspiration here for our own homes. So I think my first tip is going to be pretty obvious, and that is to stay traditional and go with neutrals if you want to um, to follow Kate's lead in your own home. So I say, you know, paint your walls a soft, warm white or a grayish or a putty color, um, something that will stand the test of time and provide a clean palette for decorating and keep large pieces of furniture to neutral tones. And that will allow you to sort of accessorize with small pops of color and pillows or other decor. So my next tip is to incorporate natural materials. Look for uh, vintage Turkish rugs like Kate, um, or you could even do something like a natural fiber jute rug. Um, those are really um, durable and, and great pieces in a room and, and really help kind of warm up a room. So if you have any wicker accent furniture, like a chair or a small table, you could bring that into your space. Um, or maybe you could find something like a marble top accent table, um, something like that to kind of bring in those natural elements. And another natural material is wood. So you could do something like a wooden dough bowl on your coffee table or a strand of large wooden beads wrapped around a book on your coffee table um, to kind of incorporate that wood tone. And I also consider leather to be a natural and neutral option um, when decorating in a traditional home. So if leather is your thing, um, you know, leather sofa or chair or ottoman, always um, something that will stand the test of time and, and really can match almost anything. The next tip that I have for our listeners is to bring in a pop of color with a statement room. So it doesn't have to be a large dining room. It could be a small office space, a bathroom, a nook of some sort, or maybe even like a statement wall or an accent wall. Pick a rich color and paint the wall, or you could even cover it in like a bright statement wallpaper. They actually make really great peel and stick wallpaper now um, that you can find online. And that's really perfect for a bold wall that you may wanna change up in the future. Um, most peel and stick wallpapers remove pretty easily. Um, and I've also seen peel and stick tile. So if you wanted to tackle tiling part of a wall, um, that could be a really great option too, especially if you're a renter. 
I really um, don't think that I have a statement room or a statement wall in my home right now. I was trying to think if I did, and I would love to add something like that. Do you have like a statement wall or anything, Rachel, in your home? <laughs> so I rent. I, uh, I don't own this house and my bedroom is the oddest color of like an olive green mixed with lime green. It's a very, it, it's, it's kind of, a, this is, it's kind of a puke-ish color. <laughs> um, that is not my choice of a statement wall, but that, hey, it makes a statement. You didn't say whether it had to be a good statement or a bad statement, but it, it certainly makes a statement. Well, you know, green's been pretty popular this year, so. I um, guarantee you that this green is not in the Pantone realm of popular <laughs> colors. I don't know who painted it this way and I can't paint it anything else because I, I rent. So uh, yeah, I just try to forget the color of the walls. It's very, it's, it's a statement for sure. Well, but you bring up a great point and I like to think through, you know, things that listeners can do who are renters because we do have a lot of people who rent and I actually follow quite a few bloggers online who live in places like New York City and, you know, almost everyone in New York City rents and um, they do a lot of budget-friendly temporary options like peel and stick tile or, um, you know, peel and stick wallpaper. So, always something to think about for our renters. Um, you know, you're not, you're not a prisoner to where you live. You can definitely make it feel warm and cozy, even with it, you know, if it's with a rug or, or some pillows to kind of personalize your space. Yes. If I had a statement wall, so it's not paint or it's not wallpaper, but in my living room, I have floor to, I have two floor to ceiling bookcases and they are organized with all my books by color and just all kinds of different organizational things. And that, that is my statement in this place. I can't, yeah. I can't be able to paint and I may not be able to put wallpaper up, but I can still make it feel like me. That is such a great point because I think I remember you showing me a picture of that and I loved it. And it is totally a statement piece on your wall. And it's something that you own and that, you know, won't mess up your wall. So I love that. Yeah, it feels it, it. I prefer to be in the living room than anywhere because the living room just feels like me. Definitely. So next on our list, um, create your own conservatory. So it's been reported that Kate's glass roof garden room also has space for entertaining guests, which allow her to create this perfect garden party kind of scene. Um, so if you want to do something like this, head to your local nursery. You can pick out, you know, various potted and hanging plants. Um, if you have a sunroom, maybe you have a covered porch or a patio, place plants at different heights. And you can even set up a table in the center um, so you could kind of recreate this sort of garden party feel in your space. Um, you could also incorporate like a trellis or something in your area, which may may sort of be like a makeshift wall to make it feel more like a, you know, like a private intimate space where you could hang out and enjoy your, your plants and your company. Um, but if you don't have a sunroom or a patio or anything like that, 
think about how you could incorporate something like a little plant area in your home. So maybe you have a really pretty window that lets a lot of light in. You could set a chair by the window and put some plants around it and create sort of a little reading nook for yourself to kind of relax there. Um, or you could bring greenery into your bedroom. Uh, plants are really great for cleaning the air and they cheer us up. And it's something that I don't think you'll regret investing in um, if you can keep them alive. I, I will say I don't necessarily have a green thumb. Um, it's not totally, it won't totally kill a plant, but um, you know, it's hit or miss for me. Um, what about you, Rachel? Do you have a favorite plant or are you, I, I know you said you're, you don't, love gardening didn't you say well, that I don't it's not that I don't love garden gardening it's just that I never have really done it except when I was a kid with my mom's garden so in my house all of my plants are artificial I have a bad track track record with plants I was given an orchid which apparently is one of the hardest plants yes. to kill I killed it this was three years ago but I'm in a different mindset now <laughs> and so this spring, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast, and I told you, all of you listeners and Jessica to hold me accountable, I am planting a garden this spring. So I will have plenty of favorite plants this spring. Good. I can't wait. And I mean, I don't know. I feel like orchids are kind of finicky. I've had trouble with those in the past. And I think the way you hydrate an orchid you don't pour water on the plant. You put ice cubes on it and they melt and that's how you water an orchid. Well, I was given the orchid as a going away present when I was moving somewhere else and the orchid survived the move, but it did not survive much longer after that. So I was like, oh my gosh, I am really terrible at this if I kill this orchid. I feel like they also maybe go dormant. So maybe it wasn't dead. <laughs> well, it went, it went away. So. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about orchids. I tend to stay away from them. My favorite indoor plant is called a ZZ plant. Mm -hmm. um, so Google those. They are pretty, they're low light, low maintenance. I put a small amount of water in mine once a month and it has been alive for quite a while now. So I cannot wait to share photos of my flowers on Instagram. Because I am, so the weather here in Birmingham was beautiful today. It gave me such excitement for spring and I can't wait to get out there and plant some, some flowers. Okay. I, we're getting off on a little tangent here, but I have to share this story with our listeners. Rachel, I'm going to send you a video on my phone from last night. So I have a mailbox in front of my house with a little area to, that I like to plant flowers around the mailbox. And I had to stop planting flowers because they kept getting eaten by deer. And so I, I think I'm going to try the marigold trick this next year. Apparently they don't like the taste of those, but last night I was getting ready to go to bed and I peeked out of my front door for some reason. And there were two deer right outside of my front door. What? And I opened the door and he just like, one of them just stared at me and I walked out there and they started to walk away. And I turned to the side and there was another deer at the other side of the driveway and I got them on camera and then they eventually ran off. Um, so I'll send you that video. Okay, that is wild. Cause it's not like you live out in the country you live in like <laughs> suburbia like in like on a very crowded suburban street I live I'm pretty centrally located in Birmingham but I will say our little road is is quiet once you turn off the the main street so wow I want to see that fun. video 
<laughs> so, okay, next on the list, I um, recommend that our listeners consider adding a butcher block to your kitchen. So you might not be able to redo all of your countertops butcher block, that could be pricey, but you could definitely find a large butcher block cutting board that you could set on your counter to kind of give it that same feel. Um, I have a large wooden cutting board and I can say they're functional and they're beautiful to keep on the counter. I, I love it. I mean, if you cook at all, you need a good cutting board. Um, I've also seen some home stores selling the like the small islands on wheels um, and they've got butcher block countertops on those and you can pick those up for probably a couple hundred dollars if you wanted to invest a little bit more. Um, that could be a good option if you have a small kitchen and you just need extra counter space. Um, so definitely consider that and then find a pretty way to display your favorite cookbooks. You could take a hint from Rachel and color coordinate them, um, but get them out. You know, you don't, don't feel like you have to hide them away in a cabinet. If the Duchess of Cambridge can display her cookbooks in her kitchen, we can all do that. And I think that they are great conversation starters. If you have guests over, it's always fun to swap recipes and talk about your favorite food. Um, so that's just a little tip there in the kitchen. And then um, next on the list, incorporate pops of color into your decor using classic patterns to kind of break up a sea of neutrals. Um, maybe you like blue or pastels like Kate, or maybe you prefer something a little bit more bold. Um, whatever you like though, you know, you can incorporate that into curtains, pillows, throw blankets, rugs, any other type of decor. Um, so a classic pattern in my mind would be something like gingham, toile, florals, stripes. All of those are going to stand the test of time and they're going to look great for um, years to come. So lastly, on my list of tips, is to go to your farmer's market regularly to keep fresh eggs and produce stocked in your kitchen. Or you could just have chickens in your backyard. Well, you could, yes, but most of a us, lot more difficult. Most of us either can't do that or we don't have any interest in tending to chickens, um, but we can definitely keep farm fresh food on hand. Um, we know Kate loves organic food and so do I. Um, and she also actually makes her own grocery runs to Waitrose near Anwar Hall. So I think that's really cool. Could you imagine seeing Kate in the grocery store? I mean, no, but I've, I've read stories of people who have, and they say she smells really good. Oh, of, of course. I mean, how could she not? Clearly she's taken a shower after playing with the chickens. <laughs> I think Kate is a fan of, uh, Joe Malone. Malone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, head out to the grocery store, grab some organic produce and some eggs for your home. And that wraps up our review of Anmer Hall. I personally think that this is the most modern and relatable home that we have profiled so far. I think um, it's pretty simple to find a great deal of items similar to Kate's at you know, your local home stores at reasonable prices. So I hope everybody feels really motivated by this one and um, maybe they got some inspiration for their, for their own home. Every time we do this segment, and I love this segment, but every time we do it, I want to redecorate so bad. And so that I've so far restrained myself this might take me over the edge because this feels the most like my aesthetic 
Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, last week I was definitely going with Sandringham. And then after this one, I'm, I was a little bit torn between the two, but I think I would go with Inra Hall. I mean, it is really inside and out from what I've seen. So beautiful and is a true, uh, home, you know, sometimes the big Royal residences are beautiful, but they're so big. I imagine they don't always feel very homey yeah. and I get kind of a, you know, homey, warm, welcoming feeling from Anmer Hall. I love it. Well, listeners, episode 11 in the books. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at podcast Royal email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you're listening. We will see you next week. And hey, listeners, happy Valentine's Day. We hope you know that we love you. And we are so grateful that you are part of the Podcast Royal family. Bye. Bye. Happy Valentine's Day. There you go. (laughs) 